0: The Syracuse University football team is halfway home, but halfway to where? Will this team be in contention for a bowl game when it's all said and done, or will it be another bowl-less season for Dino Babers in the Orange? The schedule up ahead certainly provides a challenge, starting with Clemson Friday night at the Carrier Dome. In the latest edition of the Syracuse Sports Podcast, I gathered the roundtable back together, this time... Our beat reporters on the Syracuse football side, Chris Carlson and Nate Mank, join me. We also check in on the Clemson side of things to see if the Orange have a shot against the number two Tigers. Kelly Grambler from 105.5 The Roar and a columnist for Orange and White joins me to give the Clemson perspective. So, Kelly, to to look at this from a Syracuse perspective, you know, the number two team in the country is coming in, a team that Syracuse has seen a couple of times, was competitive with once. I know Adabo brought that up earlier this week, that 37-27 game he wasn't happy with, but this game is just going to be a very tall mountain to climb for the Orange. So, from that front, what's the weakness? What can Syracuse go after here to try and make this a competitive football game?
1: That's a good question, and um, I think if you look at Kelly Bryant's health, that could be an issue. Um, Dabo Sweeney did say yesterday in his press conference that Bryant practiced on Monday. He had the high ankle sprain against Wake Forest, didn't play in most of that second half. So if Clemson does end up going with Zarek Cooper or Hunter Johnson, the two backup quarterbacks, that could be an issue for Clemson. Um, I do think from what we know, Dabo Sweeney's kind of keeping his cards to the chest a bit, but Kelly Bryant will start. So just maybe if he's not 100%, that could be an advantage for Syracuse. And, I mean, maybe, um, you know, the way that Syracuse does get out there and run, you know, the goal of, what, 90 plays a game. They ran 90 against Pittsburgh. If they can find a way to keep that defense on the field as much as possible, that Clemson defense, that could be an advantage. But the one thing with the Clemson defense is they've just been so good this year that it's really tough for me to find a weakness with that unit.
0: You know, and I wanted to ask you about that defense, Kelly, because it just seems like this is not a defense that does anything crazy. They're just good. They're talented. You know, you look at Christian Wilkins and Dexter Lawrence, particularly on that defensive line, top ten in the country in several categories. They're just an overpowering force, and this is a young Syracuse offensive line they're going to be going up against here, so this is going to be a major challenge for Syracuse. But from your view, just what makes this Clemson defense so good?
1: I think it's the the talent top to bottom, the talent on all three levels. And like you said, Christian Wilkins, Dexter Lawrence, those guys get a lot of the publicity, and rightfully so. Also Austin Bryant and Cleveland Farrell on the edges. That, that front four is just absolutely spectacular. But I think the linebackers um, and, and the secondary don't get nearly as much credit. Now, of course, the defensive line makes their job a lot easier, don't get me wrong, but guys like Kendall Joseph and Dorian O'Daniel, who is a fifth-year guy in this program, has really waited his turn, at linebacker and now he's had two pick sixes and he was an all-american candidate and the secondary is very talented a little young and we've had some injuries there clemson has it in the secondary but i would say just the one thing that is kind of under publicized about that clemson defense is just how good all three levels are
0: kelly i imagine there's high expectations as it is on this program but seeing that they've beaten three ranked teams which had never been done before in the month of september for teams in the ap poll knowing the talent mm-hmm. level is this now an expectation? Are, are fans just pretty much anticipating an Alabama Clemson rematch? And would anything other than that be a disappointment in their view?
1: <laughs> well, I don't think Clemson fans would be disappointed to see Clemson playing anybody in the national championship. That would be fine. It didn't have to be. Or it doesn't have to be Alabama. Now, uh, Clemson fans kind of have this new idea that they love to take on Alabama, and that's always fun. And to see kind of a rubber match with those two would be would be great for college football, in my opinion. Um, but I think the expectations now in Clemson have certainly changed. I've been around this program for, I think this is my seventh season, kind of around the program, and the expectations are vastly different than they were in 2011 or 2012, even I would say 2014 and 15 in the early years of Deshaun Watson because you just didn't see the sustained, consistent success but now, I mean, this is the third straight season Clemson started 6-0. and It's just kind of you expect it. And this is a program with some story tradition, but also some dark years. I mean, the 90s were tough for Clemson. But now I do think those expectations have really taken a turn. And, and Tiger fans expect to be in the playoff every year, whether it's going to happen or not.
0: On that front, it seems that Clemson has kind of reached that plug-and-play status. You know, no matter who moves on, it just seems there's a whole group of players ready to take over. So, is the future bright? I mean, we heard about some of those up-and-coming players, Kelly Bryant being one of them, Hunter Johnson there as well. How does the pipeline look over the next couple of years? Is it just you know going to? Can we expect more (laughs) of the same, basically?
1: Well, that's one thing that honestly has surprised me a bit um, because I just I really didn't buy in that you could replace Deshaun Watson, honestly, so easily, which is just a weird sentence to say, but Deshaun Watson and Mike Williams and Ben Bulware and all those guys that moved on, it's just hard to believe that you're really not going to skip a beat, but that's what Clemson has done. And I think just with the depth that Dabo Sweeney has built up through recruiting, the future is very bright. And it's not just Kelly Bryant and Hunter Johnson there at quarterback. Trevor Lawrence, who's coming in, he's going to enroll in January, number one quarterback in the country for 2018. That guy's unbelievable. We've seen a little bit of film from him in high school. So it could be a quarterback battle with Kelly Bryan and Trevor Lawrence next year, and that quarterback pipeline is just going to continue. The running backs are young, a lot of young receivers. There's only um, uh, 10 or less scholarship seniors on this team right now. So the future is bright, I would say, from a depth perspective and a talent perspective.
0: Kelly, we've seen Clemson come to the Dome a couple of times since Syracuse joined the ACC. The first time around was nearly 48,000 people there, crazy environment. Second game was entertaining as well. What can we expect this time around from a visiting fan base? And it's interesting because LSU came here last year and they made some comments that they were going to drink this town dry. And uh, <laughs> so that was a lot of fun having the LSU fans here. I know Clemson fans could party a bit too, but uh, what can we expect in terms of an orange invasion? There'll be plenty, at the dome, plenty of orange at the dome Friday night either way it seems.
1: Well, Clemson fans do love, they do love a good tailgate. You're exactly right on that one. Um, I would say that it, it's going to be a good crowd. Clemson always travels well, especially in these recent years. Um, Clemson fans are everywhere. I will say maybe the Friday night game is a little more difficult for fans to make that trip from South Carolina or maybe if they're in Atlanta or Charlotte and making that trip up to Syracuse. So that could kind of put a hamper on it. But I have heard, like you just said, some really good things about how loud that dome gets in football season. And so I'm excited just for that atmosphere for Clemson. And when you look at the atmosphere that Clemson's played in so far, you've had Louisville, which I was there, and that was a a loud place until about halftime. And then Virginia Tech, of course, a great place to play. So I think Syracuse is going to be another good road environment for for this team, and hopefully there will be a lot of Clemson orange up there, but I would expect a lot of Syracuse orange as well.
0: Kelly, appreciate the perspective here today, and, and thank you so much for joining us on the Syracuse Sports Podcast.
1: All right, thanks
0: for having me. So I'm here with Nate Mink and Chris Carlson. Unfortunately, our colleague Stephen Bailey is uh, wounded right now and could not make it to the recording of this podcast, so we'll just have to save him for next time. So, boys, we are halfway through the 2017 Syracuse football season, and I just toss that nugget out to you. Halfway through the year, have we met expectations? Have we fallen short of expectations for this team? Halfway through the season, I just I, I float that to you, Nate. What, what comes to your mind when I say that?
2: I, I think win-loss record-wise, they are about where most people had pegged them preseason. I think are, their play on the field is maybe exceeding what many people have hoped for, especially on the defense side of the ball. The flip side of that, offensively, it's been a grind at times out there. But I thought when everyone looked at this schedule in the preseason, we knew the daunting road task was ahead of them. They have not won a football game on the road yet. And then you, going into the year, you thought if they were able to hold serve at home, they would have a chance to play for a bowl game in November, and they're right on cue with that, that right now. they left They left one on the table early in the year against Middle Tennessee. They sort of got that back against Pittsburgh, and now we're kind of back at— 500 again with six to play and they got to win at least half of them to guarantee a bowl spot
0: Chris do you agree with that is it you know it doesn't seem to be any major surprises even middle Tennessee State we always looked at that game and said oh boy the Schaefer factor and some things that could happen that they could lose that game and and that's exactly what happened And, and by the way we'll get into this we've reached that mark that year two game four through six mark so it's you know, sitting there where Dino Babers projected this thing to be cranking it where it should be halfway through the season. What are the things that you think about, Chris?
3: So I would actually put them a little bit behind where we thought they would be wins and losses, um, just because there were winnable games as the season played out that they've left on the the table. Um, But I think most people never viewed this season uh, about wins and losses. You know, we wanted to see progress. That was more important than the results. And I agree with Nate in that I think we've seen progress. Uh, I, th- I think just the huge strides from the defense, which was kind of the thing that you came into the season looking for, uh, should make people kind of optimistic uh, at this point. And the offense has probably taken a step back further than we thought, but the defense has taken multiple steps forward.
0: You know, I brought that up. Year two, game four through six is when we would see the strides of this offense really start to take off. And, you know, injuries, injuries, this has been a much tougher schedule that Dino Babers has had at Syracuse than he had at prior stops. Here's what I think is the irony of that statement. It's the defense that matches that description more than the offense, right? In some ways. Yeah. I think they're ahead of schedule.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the roster turnover that this staff has worked from year one to year two is eye-opening. I mean, when you look at the graduate transfers that they brought in to plug some holes in the secondary, when you look at some of the defensive linemen they brought in, Alton Robinson, for instance, at the, from the junior college ranks, he was a late addition and sort of just showed up one day in the middle of training camp in, in August. Um, I don't know if you could have turned the roster over any more than they had from one year to the next, given you know the limitations that you're allowed, you know, via recruiting and, and sort of the you know capping your, your roster at eighty five and and whatnot.
3: Um, Those guys worked. Like like all those yes. guys that he's brought in have like done have been good right and, and helped and that's, and, and, and that and that I think is exactly. a
2: that is a decisive difference uh, from from previous coaching regimes. Is they would they would hit up the junior college ranks, but some of those guys wouldn't crack the field. And I you know I'll name names. You know Wayne Williams didn't pan out here. Trevon Trejo did not work out here. Um, Corey Cooper. <laughs> Did not work out out here. here. Um, I mean, you can kind of go on and on and on. I mean, this is a staff that I think just, again, it goes back to Dino's overall experience as a head coach. He has a system. They have a plan. They're recruiting to that plan. And they're letting sort of just all the growing pains that you're seeing over the last couple years here are just natural growing pains that you need to, you know, exhibit some patience as they work through these.
0: Last year, Syracuse got that Virginia Tech win in its back pocket, and it was an early sign of, okay, this is what can happen when this team plays to its full capability. Now, again, the irony there is that was a defensive game more than an offensive game, okay? But even Dabo Swinney said at the week of leading up to the Clemson game that he, he sees it coming with Dino Babers and what this program can become, and, you know, coaches like to compliment each other, so take that for what it's worth. But, on that track, you need another upset. You need another win that gets people's attention. You can only watch that, that speech that Dino Babers made on YouTube so much before you need some more material. If anything, the second half of the season provides plenty of opportunities for Syracuse to do that. Clemson, no. Miami, Florida State, even Louisville, one of those three games does not look as crazy to suggest they could win one of those three as maybe it did may at the beginning of the season
3: no uh, i mean they're on the road which which is challenging you know one of the one of the key kind of components of that recipe for upsets is usually home field advantage um but uh louisville and florida state are two teams that came into the season thinking national title Uh, their goals coming into this season are 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 gone um you know both have shown weakness Uh, louisville outside of lamar jackson doesn't appear special lamar jackson is very special um, and Florida State's obviously playing a, a true freshman quarterback, which limits you offensively. So you can kind of talk yourself into reasons why those games might happen and, and kind of see that a game could play out, you know, where Syracuse could pull that upset. I think you can kind of like go down a logical track and kind of talk yourself into it. Brent, the thing, the thing
2: that strikes me about Dino and, and it's not sort of to divert from your question a little bit, but you know, the Virginia Tech win last year, chalks up to a nice feather in his cap in year one. I think if they were to beat Miami, Florida State, or Louisville in the second half of the season, it's just that, another feather in the cap. Dino, really from day one, has been focused on the big picture, the long term rather than the short term. And I think if you can separate that that this year, well, again, you want to try to get to a bowl game that can accelerate the process. He's more looking you know a couple years down the road and eyeballing what this program should become when he gets into year 4 and year 5. One of the comparisons that has really struck me um, from the first half of the season is he when he, they were preparing to play NC State, you know, he looked at the roster, Dave Doran was throwing out there and they were all upperclassmen that he had recruited. It was his entire roster top to bottom. This roster is still comprised by about half of Scott Schaefer's recruits. So he's still doing what he can to plug in to plug and play some guys at at positions that they may not be a perfect fit for um, with what they want to do. So I think, again, he is taking taking the the long view here um, rather than, you know, how are we going to beat Clemson? How are we going to beat Florida State? That does not necessarily matter as much to him now as what he's ultimately trying to build, that foundation he recruits. Re- Experience re-
0: is huge, and you just said it, Chris, Wake Forest. Who
3: we don't really consider as, as a very talented or, or, or great team, but they have a veteran offensive line. Um, most of those guys are redshirt juniors. You know, Clawson's been there long enough that he's recruited his guys. Um, Wake Forest has been has been far better this year than anybody expected for, for that same reason. Well, you know, Clausen's you know, got his guys. John Wolford's been there since 1998.
0: Well, so yeah. if you've got a quarterback yes. who's been around that long, then, you know, you, but it just goes to show you that. And NC State's a great example because even in this division, not just the ACC, the this Atlantic division with Clemson and Florida State, Florida State takes a drop off, Clemson's Clemson. For, but NC State uses that experience. Now, I don't think they're going to win the league. I don't think they're going to win the Atlantic Division. But They're playing for it. They're, they're yeah, playing no, for have a it. Game. They'll have a game and, for it. And to tell, you know, if, if I said at the beginning of the season, all, all told, you're going to be second to Clemson, you take that every day of the week and twice on Sunday. So to hear you say that, Nate, about how Dino's got that long view in mind, I wonder if the fans are going to go along with that long view and how how long they'll stay on this train you know, two years. It's been a long 15 years, Brent. (laughs) It has. That's it. It's not, look, I'm a Buffalo Bills fan. They haven't been in the playoffs for 17 years. Mm -hmm. So then they get a new administration and you have to give them time to do their thing. But when you combine that with 17 prior years, patience is thin. And I think Syracuse fans find themselves in that spot too. So Mm -hmm. I wonder how that's all going to play out and if Syracuse fans will kind of stay on this ride and, and how long they'll stay on this ride with Dino, especially this year. This year with this schedule, I mean, you almost have to throw it away in some ways. you got to evaluate and look how it goes. But it's one of the toughest schedules in college football, and that hasn't changed six games into the season.
3: Well, I think that's where the feather in the cap helps, right? You know, where it is nice to have that win, where it's like, hey, look at – I outcoached a a really good coach in Fuente from Virginia Tech. Uh, Look what we can do when it all comes together and – we never really had that win with with Scott Schaefer, right? Where, where it was like, oh, you know, we can compete with uh, top teams. Uh, that can happen. Um, you know, Dino can point back to that and say, like, hey, when this thing's going, I can beat a top twenty-five program. So I, I think the feather in the cap does help buy patience, well, or, or should. I you know I, I can't put my I, put myself in the mind well, of I, a fan, I think, I, think
2: it, more, it I think more than anything, it, it shows that you have a, a competent, mature leader in that chair. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, And, and he referenced uh, Matt Campbell and at, from Iowa State. They just came off a really impressive win at Oklahoma. And Dino, as, as he's wanted to do uh, on the ACC call this week, made a point to, to reference that Campbell, like him, came for the Mid-American Conference. Dave Doran came for the Mid-American Conference. These are, quote, Mac coaches that everyone likes to get on SU for hiring you know we need to hire a big name coach we, we can't settle for a MAC coach well some of these guys came from the mid-american conference too you know Brian Kelly came from the mid-american conference too it, it, has to be, the of it has shown to be it has shown to be a solid proving ground for coaches and how they are, can, can ultimately perform at the power five level and I think that you know that is what Again, he is he is that that is what a, a victory against a, a upper tier ACC Atlantic team can can do for you at this stage. It just reinforces and reiterates that the guy running the show knows what he's doing, and that's the best thing that this university can hope for right now.
3: Well, right, and I think it makes sense that a Mac coach would be uh, a coach that wins at the Mac would be a good coach because you are not going to out talent everybody in the Mac. Like you I, I just I think everybody's kind of talent level is going to be somewhat comparable. Um, or at least you're dealing with kind of the same – you're you're all recruiting the same probably caliber player for the most part. So if you can win there, that, then you're legitimately out-coaching the other guy or, or, or your system is working better than the other guys. So, if, you know, it is a good proving ground to
0: prove, hey, you are a competent coach. All right, a little nuts and boltsy now. Okay, we'll start on the offensive side of the ball. I I have made peace with the fact that Eric Dungey is just going to run the ball. He's going to take the opportunities that are there. And halfway through the season, I see a smarter quarterback. I see a quarterback who slides more, who goes out of bounds more. But part of being a smart quarterback and running the ball is taking the plays that are there. I think generally, I would give Eric Dungey probably a B plus, A minus on that. Where would you guys go? Yeah, I mean, he,
2: he he is... He is playing his game, for, for lack of a better term. And, you know, he is, they are not reining him in. They are not limiting him in any type of way out there. They are kind of just throwing the ball out there, and whatever happens, happens. And I think that's kind of the prudent approach based on, you know, what they experienced last year when they did try to remove the, the running game from him going into the Clemson game, and he got knocked out of the game anyway. Um, you know, he's he's playing at a really high level His legs open up some things That his arm can do And vice versa, his arm opens up some things His legs can do He's just very, very solid right now And when he's not on the field um, You know, obviously, just based on the past two years This is a to- totally different team And a totally different offense
3: It looks like he's gotten better at it, too You know, the, the first two games like I was not sure he was going to make it through The, the year because he took some pretty significant hits those first two games the last couple games it seems like he's been getting down maybe a step or two earlier and avoiding those type of hits you know when when he leaves the pocket um so you know maybe that's a small sample size and it's just pure luck but uh you know maybe he's kind of figured out the timing of this is when i need to get down versus um you know being willing to stay, but up I mean,
2: there's always hit. there's always a calculated risk, risk there. I mean, Urban, Urban Meyer bludgeons his quarterback, you know, year after year. And a couple years ago, and they happen to win the national title anyway. You know, J T. Barrett goes down early or late late in the year, right before the playoff, and they can plug in Cardell Jones and, and still win a title. But you know, anytime. You know, just the, that's the way college football is gone now. It just seems, you know, the quarterback has to be able to use his legs as much as his arms. It just adds a different dimension that a defense needs to think about. Defensive coordinators need to prepare for. Um, if that's what everyone else is doing and you have a guy on your in your program that can do it you know, it would be foolish not to utilize both skill sets out there.
0: This just in, Steve Ishmael and Irv Phillips are good. They're record setters. It's like, it's a game of hot potato. You set the record this week. No, you set the record this week, right? But we've seen recently a couple more targets emerge for this offense, namely Devin Butler and Ravion Pierce, who had terrific games against Pittsburgh. Going forward here, you know, teams are going to key in on Steve Ishmael. I think Irv Phillips is tough to guard, even by Clemson and and, and good teams. Because he's just so, it's like a water bug out there. He just finds his way and, and gets open. What else do you think we'll see develop in the second half from the offense? I mentioned a couple of names there, or there are there a couple that I didn't? Or just what what do you see going forward? Uh, I just think, I, I think probably the, the
3: most likely scenario is you're going to see the role of those guys that we already saw kind of expand. Um, you know, Pitt has had a really good cornerback, uh, Avante Maddox, who, who did a pretty decent job taking Steve Ishmael away. Um, He had some catches, but the big touchdown came when Maddox was hurt. Um, And then Jordan Whitehead, who's a a really strong safety, uh, did a pretty good job limiting Phillips. I mean, you're not going to erase those guys, but, you know, like you said, they didn't have the record-setting days. Uh, It was Ravian Pierce and and Devin Butler making a big play. Um, You know, the the Pit guys played the whole game in nickel, uh, so you had smaller guys on the field. Um, So, you know, Pierce was a that. That to me is a good strategy against Syracuse. It, it's what teams should be probably doing. Um, but you get a bigger tight end, and all of a sudden you're making small guys try to tackle a big guy. Um, so I think that was probably a pretty good adjustment from Dino to to what he'd seen earlier in the year. Um, if I'm an if I'm an opponent, I would try to take Ishmael and Phillips away the best I can and make those guys try to beat me. So I just think you see an expansion of the role of
0: those two guys going forward, and they're going to have to you know, continue that production. Nate, is the running game, to use a phrase, it is what it is? Are we just, that? Dante Strickland is what he is? Maybe Mo Neal gets some more carries. We've seen Chris Elmore develop, you know, the 280-pound 280 pound, 280 fullback slash tight end. I look at a running game, I'm like, I, I don't think I'm going to see a big jump in the second half of the season. Do you agree with that? Uh,
2: you know, I, I think they are who they are at this point. I think that's fair to say. Where I think they can they can gain an advantage at scrimmage is through their tempo and through their system. As we get later into the season, as teams start to, you know, those bumps and bruises start to pile up, guys starting to feel a little sluggish, heck, legs get a little bit heavier, you know, the MO of this entire program is we're going to outcondition you, we're going to be in better shape than you. So if that is true... Then, you know, you maybe look to go to the ground game, you know, late in the second half of these games. That's when I think it can really make a difference. You know, I don't think they're going to be an offense that suddenly transforms into a 200, 250-yard rushing attack. But, you know, even if it starts slow in the first half, if the game's tight, if the defense starts to wear down as that play count rises to 85, 90 plays, then all of a sudden you can hit Strickland and Elmore up the middle for three four yards continuously play after play and continue to wear that down and then all of a sudden you're up you know to 100 and 150 yards by the end of the day you know that that's all you need to do maybe to win the game so i think you know the rushing attack is not going to be necessarily that big play flash ability that we've seen you know with guys like prince tyson gully or you know jerome smith in the past but if it can just be kind of a a a slow drip that just kind of grinds away over the course of four quarters, it can still be effective and help them win games late in the year.
0: When Antoine Cordy got hurt to jump on the defensive side of the ball, I mean, all of us said, here we go again. You can't lose a player like that. Well, I think that secondary has held up pretty well without him. We've seen a couple players emerge. I mean, Jordan Martin's been all over the map. He had a terrific game against Pittsburgh, He had an awful game against NC State. Christopher Frederick has been up and down this year. So, you know, when you play better teams like Clemson and Miami and Florida State, you're going to see those guys get tested. But working from the secondary up, because we knew Paris Bennett and Zaire Franklin and those linebackers were going to be the veteran leaders and they were going to produce, and they have. The defensive line has been a pleasant surprise, even without Josh Black and Kendall Coleman the past couple of games. So, Chris, I turn to you first, just looking at that defense. We mentioned earlier, maybe they've exceeded expectation, but it's going to be hard to match that going forward with this unbelievable schedule that syracuse has
3: yeah I, I think i think that's a great point because you know i think we saw in lsu and lsu not a very good passing team i mean they don't have a very good quarterback um but when when syracuse left even the smallest gap in in the defensive secondary lsu had athletes that were capable of going you know 70 yards um, same with miami it's the same with florida state it, it's the same with clemson um whereas you know uh Pittsburgh, uh, Jester Wee, uh, you know, I mean, he caught a slant. He beat the defensive back, and, and Paris Bennett, great play, great pursuit, tracked him down in the secondary. Now, is Paris Bennett going to do the same thing against a Clemson or a Florida State wide receiver and, and kind of cover up that mistake? Uh, I that. don't know. Yeah. 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 I, I, I think that's tough. So I, I think, you know, the next few games, we're going to really see how much that, that
0: secondary is kind of tightened up. What's a fair look at the defense going forward from what you've seen, Nate?
2: Well, what what they've done extremely well so far is you know you know they they've plugged the running game pretty well so far, and they're tremendous on third down. And I think that's that's been the biggest key. I mean, so many times last year, you know, we would watch them play and they just couldn't get off the field. The the, the opposing offense would just extend drives, extend drives. The defense could, would get worn down. This year, they're they're making those third down stops. They're sixth in the country nationally in third down, uh, you know, conversion rate. Um, so as long as they can continue to, to do that and give the ball to their offense, I know they play fast, but, uh, you know, sometimes the best defense is to kind of have the ball, you know. So, you know, they're, they're uh, you know, I think with, you know, Cordy, whether he comes back or not, you know, that's kind of, think, going to be a week-to-week thing. But, you know, they have shown that they are more equipped to handle the loss of an Antoine Cordy than they were a year ago. Um, I still think there are certain guys that it, that they need out there for the majority of the snaps, namely you know Chris in the at the three technique and Paris and Zaire obviously at, at the linebacker position. There are certain guys that you know are quote unquote irreplaceable in that defense. So as long as they have those core guys in the, in the middle there, I think they're going to be able to again plug the run. And once you can kind of force a, an offense to be a little bit more predictable on on third down and. And predictable overall, that just in turn helps your defense overall.
1: Six
0: down, six to go. We'll see what the rest of the season brings. Gentlemen, we'll be reading, of course, and uh, Mr. Bailey, we wish you well and hope to have you the next time we get the crew together here talking some Syracuse football. Thanks for coming on the Syracuse Sports Podcast, boys. Thank you, Brent. Thanks for listening to the Syracuse Sports Podcast. Make sure to subscribe in iTunes. Look for us on Apple Podcasts. to Get the latest delivered right to your phone, iPad, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Brent Adams. We'll talk to you next time.